We are going to be in Acts 20 this morning. And so you guys can turn your Bibles there. We're continuing our series on studying the book of Acts together. This beautiful story of the early church and discovering all that has happened to birth the church and everything that it's went through. And we've uh, sort of blasted our way through the book. We have went through it quite rapidly and we've skipped over some sections, but uh, we're enjoying our time in this book together. So Acts chapter 20, we're going to be looking at verses 17 to 38 this morning. Uh, but before we jump into the Word together, I want to I ask this question. Uh, who here struggles with focus in their life? Anyone? <laughs> all of us do to some extent, right? We all struggle with some aspect of focus. What do we want to prioritize? What do we want to do? What do we want to see accomplished? Somehow, all these things that we want to be living for somehow find the back burner in our life. We all struggle with this aspect of focus, now, Rebecca and I have been watching a, a show lately called Alone. Has anyone heard of the show Alone? It's about a survivalist show. There's about 10 people, and they're basically survivalists, and they're thrown into the wilderness, and they each get to pick 10 items to survive with, and basically the premise of the show is how long can you survive in the middle of nowhere by yourself? It's a crazy show. And I love it because the first season film was on Vancouver Island, so I see all these guys struggling to survive, and of course, I'm sitting there um, relaxing on a couch saying, I could do this way better than you, because <laughs> that's where I grew up. So I know that area, I know how to survive there, but it was fascinating to watch these guys survive. But what's crazy about the show is watching the struggle that everyone goes through to survive. And you realize the, the physical struggle is a major one, but most importantly, what's wild to watch is the psychological challenge that they're going through. And you begin to realize that their focus, you, you think a basic task that they're trying to accomplish, their focus just completely gets eradicated and messed up. Where a simple thing like putting a tarp over a shelter or a simple thing like setting out some trap lines, a simple thing like a trot line for fishing, sometimes they just struggle with it. They can't even accomplish a basic task because they're so lost on focus. Now, what I find also really interesting is that you also get to hear a lot of their, their stories and as they're wrestling and dealing with all this sense of being alone, when you're by yourself, you have a lot of time to think, don't you? And so you see all these people contemplating and having this inner struggle, and they're looking back to the reality of their regular lives, and all they have this time to comprehend of all the things that they lacked in prioritizing, things that they should have been accomplishing, the focus that they should have had on their marriage or their kids or whatever it may be, this time alone in the wilderness absolutely gives them all this crazy perspective about what really matters in life. And really, it's pretty simple when you think about it, a very simple understanding. And so they're, they're thrown in this drastic situation, and it brings out so much of them. It's an absolutely fascinating show to watch. But for us this morning, I'm sure many of us are not going to go to the remote place of West Coast of Vancouver Island and try to survive, survive for a month. Most of us would probably die in the first week. That's okay. 
But the, the premise of the show is so fascinating because it shows us how drastic change in our lives can actually produce some such intercontemplation that becomes so beneficial. And, and I've found in my life that the, the times of refocusing often happen in major life transitions. Anyone else experienced that? When you go through a major transition in life, when you do things like moving into a new house or getting a new job or getting married or even divorced or, or even kids or buying a house, you go through different seasons of life, you go through traumatic experience, all, all these rapid changes come at us and it forces us to question our very existence, doesn't it? It forces us to question our very purpose and calling and meaning and it bring some of these foundational questions of our existence to the surface. And what we're studying today in Acts 20 is exactly what's going on in the life of Paul in the moment in this book of Acts. Uh, we are in Acts 20, and Paul has spent about three years at this time as a missionary in the city of Ephesus. And, and he's been doing all these fascinating things of planting churches and training leaders and equipping the church and all these beautiful things are happening. But now God is calling him to do something else. And God is calling him into another place. He's calling him to enter into Jerusalem for Pentecost and then ultimately later to Rome. But Paul comes to this massive transition in his life and he expects to never see this church in Ephesus again. And the passage we're looking at this morning is sort of Paul's final words to the church in Ephesus. It's this massive transition where Paul begins to contemplate what is really important. What is, what is the main thing that the church needs to be focused on? What is the things that need to be prioritized in the church? And so this is the, the, the letter, the, the context in which we come into Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus about. And so this is the passage that we're going to read together this morning. And so Acts chapter 20, verses 17 on. Hear the words of Paul to the church in Ephesus. He says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Now, again, who are elders of the church? Basically, overseers. They're the leaders, right? We're going to read in verse 28. Uh, talks about the overseers. Another way to translate is bishops. We're talking about the same group of people. They're shepherds, pastors, bishops, elders, all used interchangeably in the New Testament. So Paul's talking to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. So he calls them out to Miltus. Then he says, and when they came to them, he said to them, this is Paul's last final words to the church in Ephesus. He says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all what? Humility and with all what? Tears and with all what? Trials, humility, tears, trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How, did I, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable 
and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by what? Constrained by the Spirit. In other words, God is leading him to go to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Now, what's the assumption of what's going to happen to Paul when he goes back to Jerusalem? He's probably going to get thrown back in prison, probably going to get killed. He knows that this is probably the end of his life as he goes back to Jerusalem. There's a major threat. There's a major risk. And yet he says, I am constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of Uh, of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And he's speaking metaphorically there in case you didn't know. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking and twisting things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come before you, and Lord, we thank you for the blessing of the word. We thank you that you speak to us through your word. 
And Lord, we thank you for this testimony of Paul, a man who is so radically transformed by the gospel, someone who goes from persecuting the church to someone who goes to plant churches throughout the Greco-Roman world. And yet now we read of a massive transition in his life, a massive change where he needs to remind the church what it needs to focus on. And so I pray that as we hear these words this morning, that you would too teach us to focus on what matters, to hear your calling for our lives as the church and as individuals so that we can be people who bring honor and glory to your name. In the gracious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So what I want to do from this passage this morning, there's a, there's a lot to unpack and there's a lot to unravel, but what I want to do with our time together is really just set out some key things that Paul brings us to mind. There's, there's many important things to focus on here, but I want to bring a, a few different things that we need to really hear this morning of what to focus on. And so here as a church, but here as individuals, what is it that Paul really reminds us to focus on in life? Well, the first of all he thinks is, he says, we need to focus on character and compassion. The first thing that Paul tells them to focus on is character and compassion. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you, serving the Lord with three things. What were they? Humility, tears, and trials. That's what Paul was all about. And Paul says, I have set an example for you of character and compassion. So Paul, first of all, says, be humble. Humble yourself. If you want to be a church that advances the kingdom of God and the gospel, you have to have a character of humility. And we sort of hear that through an interpretation where humility is sort of seen as somewhat of a positive word today. But in reality is in a Greek and Roman culture, to call someone humble was almost an insult. It was not a virtue for a Roman to be humble. Why? Because humility was seen as defeated, weak, low of stature. And, and Paul says, no, you as the church can't be like the culture. You have to be humble. You have to humble yourself before God. I, I mean, this is sort of the opposite of our cultural view of leadership too, isn't it? Our culture celebrates pride and power in leadership. And Paul says, no. The kingdom of God is the exact opposite. God humbles us. God is king and we are servants. So being Christians isn't just about power and position and pride. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. It's humbling ourselves so that God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people. And so Paul tells the church, he says, humble yourselves before God and watch what God can do. The next thing that Paul says is not just humility, but T word, tears, tears. Paul says be compassionate. Here's the beautiful thing. We, we see Paul mourning that he's leaving them. We see the fact that Paul loved them. They matter to them. This is what we see in Paul in tears. And uh, I want you to know, church family, like our, our leadership team we cry over you guys. We, we shed tears of compassion and concern. Why? 
because we, we, we want you to experience all that God has for you. Now, there's probably a lot more tears on the board when Mark Chachka was the board chair, but <laughs> I thought I'd get a lot more than that, right? I'm quite emotional too, so you know I'm crying all the time there, but there's this compassion, there's this sense of care and concern for people. And what's beautiful in the church is when we actually shed tears for each other, isn't it? That's when you know there's a healthy community. That's when you know there's care and compassion and concern when you're actually crying tears. Um, last Monday night, we had such a beautiful prayer time, didn't we? For those of you that were there, we, we had such a beautiful prayer time together because all we were doing was sharing stories of God at work in our lives and what God was doing, and we just cried for one another. Tears of joy at times, tears of sorrow at times, tears dealing with trials, which Paul talks about. And he says trials he endured as well because this is the same thing that Paul could say that even in the midst of trials, he saw God at work. In fact, tears and trials often allow us to see the work of God in an even greater way. They remind us how weak we are in ourselves and how powerful our God is. And so Paul says, first of all, the church needs to focus on character and compassion. We need to be humble with one another, and we need to cry compassionate tears for one another. Amen? Can we do that, church? That's the calling. That's what we need to focus on. Again, when, when pride takes over, when selfishness takes over, it destroys community. This is what Paul says you need to focus on. The next thing he says, you need to focus on faithfulness. This is the next thing Paul says. He says, I have been faithful in everything God has called me to do. I serve God. I taught and preached the gospel. I call people to repentance and faith. I am being led by the Spirit. And here's the, the crazy wild verse that Paul says in verse 24. He says, but I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only that I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Amen? Talk about focus, right? Talk about who's someone who's literally walking to his most likely death or imprisonment, and this is what he's focused on. He says, my life means nothing to me. What matters most is that I'm being faithful to God, faithful to the calling that God has on me. And here's this imagery he gives us this runner running through the course of life and not getting distracted, not getting sidetracked, staying focused on the purposes and calling to which he has been called. And Paul is in effect saying, I don't care if I get thrown in prison. I don't care if my life is coming to an end. I have to go where the Spirit of takes me, therefore I'm following Jesus. And at the end of the day, when we think about it, this is what we're all responsible for, isn't it? This is what each and every one of us are responsible for. We are called to be faithful in following God. Have you ever spent enough time just contemplating your life and coming to that conclusion that everything in my life needs to revolve around being faithful to God. 
that everything in my life needs to revolve around being led by the Spirit of God. We, we are always called to be listening to God and being faithful to God in those things. What runs our life? What drives our life? What's the purpose behind our life? These are questions that have to be addressed. And I don't say this to overwhelm you. God is not putting the weight of the world on your shoulders and the weight of fixing the world on your shoulders. Those are on His shoulders. Amen? Amen? <laughs> We'd be hopeless if it was our responsibility to fix the world. Why? Because we make just as much of a mess of it, right? But we are called to be faithful in the simple things that He calls us to. We are called to be faithful in just discipling our kids. We're, we're called to be faithful in doing our work with integrity. We're called to be faithful in sharing the gospel with our neighbor. We're called to be faithful in our character and our witness. Again, life is simple when we think about it. We just get so distracted and so sidetracked. And so Paul says, Keep your focus on being faithful to what God has called you to. All the other distractions, all the other things that can sidetrack you, don't let those things take you away from the purposes to which God has called you to. Focus. Focus on faithfulness. The next thing that Paul calls us to focus on is truth. Verse 20, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Verse 26 and 27, Paul says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. And what he's bringing up is this passage from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 33, says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What, what is Paul saying here? Paul's conviction is that it's possible to be guilty of the blood. What, what is he talking about there? What is, what is he referencing? He, he's talking about that we as the church have a responsibility that is so weighted to share the gospel with other people that if God has given us opportunity to tell someone about the good news of Jesus and, and literally give them an offer of salvation and we refuse to do it, Ezekiel 33, and Paul even references it again, he's saying, Guess who is not innocent of that person's blood? In other words, God has appointed you to speak the gospel into that person's life and you rejected and you denied that calling and now that person lives apart from Jesus. Why? Because you weren't faithful to what God had called you to. That's intense, isn't it? That's very intense to think about. That's powerful to think about. And Paul is reiterating this important theme that we, we have to take into account. And so Paul is saying, really? When we do not share the gospel and tell them the truth, even though the Spirit leads us and God gives us the opportunity, that's stepping away the proclamation of the truth that God has called us to. And Paul is saying, I am innocent. Why? Because he was faithful in preaching the gospel. He was faithful in preaching truth. Amen? Do you guys want to be faithful to that? If there's anything that we need to be faithful towards in this life, is it not telling people about Jesus so that they can know and be transformed by him? But Paul says this. He has this warning. He gives this warning. 
He says, not everyone who will come after him will teach the same. And he says, there's going to be wolves among you. Now, again, when I was watching that alone show, this could be taken literally. (laughs) But Paul's not talking in a literal sense. He's talking about people who come in with a false teaching, a false agenda, not wanting to be focused on the gospel. And and Paul's reminding us there are such things as false teachers in the church. There are things that are not true that need to be addressed and discerned. And so Paul's saying we need to be discerning as the church. That's why we should always be growing in our biblical literacy, not just as a church, but as individuals. This is why and how we know truth. Christianity is a movement driven by truth, amen? It's driven by truth. It's not just experience. It's truth and reason. Even Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Truth is a relational pursuit for us. And so I I believe this is such an important word from Paul because we we live in a culture that is so devoid of pursuing truth, isn't it? Everything becomes subjective. And I think this is even a warning for us as a church, especially when we talk about being innocent of the blood. We come to people, and if we as a church say, oh, what you believe, that's good for you, and what I believe, that's good for me, that is not being innocent of the blood. That is not speaking truth into people's lives. That is not sharing the gospel. But we live in a culture where everyone can believe whatever they want, and we can't say anything to counteract each other. There's a complete loss of truth, isn't there? Everything becomes subjective. There is no more objective in our culture. And this is what Paul is warning against, that if the church goes down that path of rejecting truth, it loses Jesus. It loses its very purpose of existence. And this is actually part of the reason why we named our daughter Aletheia. For those of you who know what Aletheia means, what does it mean? (laughs) Truth, right? We named our daughter Alethea because we realize that such a substantial part of our culture is moving away from truth, and we pray for our daughter to be a pillar of truth and hold truth. And so this must be the focus of the church. It must be pursuing truth, knowing truth, sharing truth. We share the truth even when it's hard to share the truth, amen? Amen. Even when it's hard to share with people that are antagonistic about the gospel, we do it because we love them and care for them and want them to know God. And so we share and focus on the truth. The next thing that Paul wants us to know is that we need to focus on our motives. Focus on our motives. Verse 33 says this. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. In other words, he said, I didn't do it for money or fancy clothes. He says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And so Paul is basically reminding the church, he's saying that everything he did for them wasn't out of selfish gain. It was actually a sacrifice out of love for them. And Paul says it had nothing to do with money. That was never his motivation. It had nothing to do. Paul wanted to help people. He wanted to bring healing and restoration in the lives of people. He wanted his time and energy to be focused on the preaching of the gospel. And here's the thing, church. God is not only concerned that we do the right thing. God is also concerned that we do the right thing with the right motivation. Amen? Does that make sense? Because you can do the right thing with the wrong motivation, can't you? It's actually more intricate and something we do more naturally is to do the right thing with the wrong motivation. Um, You you ever hear the phrase, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours? (laughs) What's the premise behind that? What's the motivation behind that? Well, I'll do something for you so that you do something for me. Or you do something for me, so I'll do something for you, right? We, we have all these false motivations. Uh, I mean, we, we can do things looking for something in return. And at the end of the day, what is that? That's selfishness. That's self-seeking. We, we can do things looking for affirmation, right? I do things so everyone notices how good I am, Right? What is that? That's simply focused on the approval of others. It has nothing to do with the approval of God. It has to do with the approvals of others. We can do things simply to make money. And what's that called? Greed. And you know what? Vocations can so easily turn into that category, can't it? If we simply do things to make money... We can do the right thing and even be a person of integrity and do a good job well, but if money is our motivation, what is that? Greed. It has nothing to do with worship. It has nothing to do with God's calling. We can even do things simply so we feel good about it. And what's that? Pleasure. Self-satisfaction. You know, I, I find so many people who, um, whether I've, I've talked to people who volunteer at Hope Mission that aren't Christians or in some form capacities of, of helping people who are struggling or vulnerable, and, I, and pretty much 99% of the time when I talk to people about serving in those capacities who aren't Christian, they say, I help people because it makes me feel good, right? <laughs> and I... I I don't really say this bluntly to them and I don't confront them on it because I'm just glad they're helping people. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is incredibly selfish of you then because you're just helping all these people so you can feel good about yourself, right? There's no compassion there. There's no true love. There's no true desire to make people's life better. It's all about you. And so the list can go on and on. Here's the thing. Again, we have to realize that as we do the right thing, it has to be done with the right motives. And Paul said, none of these things motivate me. The only thing that motivates me is to know that I was faithful. I don't need the approval of others. I live for God. I don't need your money. God has promised to supply my every need. 
Uh, I don't need to advance my reputation. God has given me identity. Paul says, I don't need to give myself to pleasure because in God's presence there is a fullness of joy. Paul can say all these things don't motivate him because simply his relationship with God. He had the right motives. Amen? Last thing. Focused on prayer. Here's what's beautiful. When Paul finishes speaking to the leadership and he gives them all these things that they need to be focused on and he tells them all the distractions that come into existence and says, he says, let my life be an example to you. And then he literally gives them a physical example of probably the most important priority. In verse 36 it says, when he had seen these things, he did what? He knelt down and prayed. He prayed. As he concludes all these important things for the church to remember, after he's shared everything and laid bare everything that he wanted to share, there's only one thing that needs to be done, and it's prayer. Everything was committed to the Lord. And this is really a heartbeat that we as a leadership team have had for a number of years now. This is where we've been advancing so much of our, our vision throughout the years. Um, it started with us simply just doing a, an extended prayer time in our meetings. It moved to having a, an actual separate meeting for our prayer times, and that advanced in many ways throughout the years. And now where it is now, which I'm really excited for and it's been beautiful, is now every time we have a, a prayer meeting as a, a leadership team, we said, well, why don't we just invite the church? And we've done that for two months now, on the first Monday of every month, and they've been absolutely powerful meetings. And, and the reason behind it is because everything that has to be done among us needs to be focused on prayer. Why? Because can we accomplish anything of worth or value on our own? No. We need God to work. We need to be dependent upon God. We need to seek God in His direction. We need to celebrate what He's doing among us. We need to acknowledge how good He is and what He is accomplishing. And so we pray. And so my, my prayer then for us as a church is that we would really take God speaking to us through these words of Paul and that when we begin to acknowledge some of these things in your life. And so I'm just going to invite you guys to, to bow in prayer even now. And I'm just going to ask you to, to contemplate, wrestle with God in this moment. Wrestle with God and ask Him and engage Him and, and engage Him in prayer and ask Him, God, what are you needing me to focus on? Just sit in the presence of God. Bow before Him. Bowing's this picture of submission before God. And ask Him, God, do, does my character need to change? Am I prideful? Am I humble? God, am I compassionate? 
God, do I actually care enough about people to cry over them? Or God, am I, am I faithful? What distractions are in my life right now? What's drawing me away from the calling you have before me? Where am I not faithful that I need to change? God, am I focused on truth? Do I actually share the truth of who Jesus is to those who don't know? Do I believe the truth and do I live by the truth? Lord, what are my motives? I'm doing all the right things, but I don't feel your joy, God. I'm doing all the right things, but I'm doing it for selfish reasons. Confess that. Or are you focused on prayer? Are you doing everything in your power and your energy? Are you just trying to get through the day? Or do you actually get to experience the joy of God's presence in prayer? Do you actually get to experience His comfort in a world of chaos? And so pray with God, what needs to change? Where does your focus need to go? I'm just going to give you a moment of silence just to further that conversation with God. God, we come before you in confession that, Lord, we are so easily distracted. Lord, you have given us in many ways a simple life that we turn ultimately complex through our sins, through our bad decisions, through pursuing selfish things, pursuing pleasure apart from you. All these things that can take us away from experiencing the life that you have for us. And so we pray that even in this moment, you would remind us and call us back to what truly matters in life. What truly matters in life. Not what we think of all the empty things that are going to leave us unfulfilled. But the abundance of life that is only found in knowing you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room or anyone online that does not know you and they're trying to figure out what life is all about and they're trying to figure out what is truth and how do I know who God is and who is Jesus, Lord, I just pray that you would instill your spirit upon them just to instruct them and guide them into truth and that they would know how great you are and how beautiful a relationship with you is and how all the things that they think that will bring them satisfaction and joy, Lord, will only be found in you. And so, Lord, we pray for all of us that you would renew our hearts, 
to seeking after you. Lord, you say, seek the kingdom first and all these things will be added. When we pursue our king and his kingdom, Lord, that is where life is found. And so give us focus, we pray, so that you will be glorified and we will experience the goodness of being in your will. Thank you, gracious God. Amen.